Hello friends, and thank you for tuning in to Death in the Desert, a fact or fiction true crime podcast. I'm your host Alex, and today, since it is our very first episode, I'm going to keep it nice and short, and we are going to be talking about the Miracle Valley Shootout. This is the tale of a cult, a Bible college, a bombing, a shooting, and an all-out police brawl. Now I want to preface this by saying that the organization I'm talking about tonight isn't actually known as a cult, but their practices are very cult-like. Their belief system held God's law above man's, meaning that if an officer of the law stood in the way between a believer and his worship, members were taught to do whatever was necessary to help themselves. Worship was said to be held 24 hours a day. The church employed watchers who would stand against the walls and hit church members in the head with long poles if they started to fall asleep. At the local public school, teachers noticed how some days the students were who were children of the members, they behaved like zombies and they suspected that they were suffering from severe sleep deprivation. A little bit of backstory. In 1959, the famous or infamous televangelist A.A. Allen founded Miracle Valley. Miracle Valley is a small, tiny little area in southeastern Arizona. And in Miracle Valley, he founded the Miracle Valley Bible College. Originally, the area was 1,240 acres, but it would grow to 2,400 acres by the time of A.A. Allen's death in 1970. Followers of A.A. Allen's formed the Christ Miracle Healing Center and Church. And in 1978, members of the Christ Miracle Healing Center and Church moved from Mississippi to Miracle Valley with the rest of the nearly 300 members joining them from Chicago and Mississippi in 1980 led by Pastor Francis E. Thomas. Between 1978 and 1979 the relationship between the all-black church members and the predominantly white local community was peaceful. When Pastor Frances moved in, she brought with her racial tension and distrust. Making the situation more tense, a series of small burglaries scared church members enough to make them start an armed security force that patrolled the church grounds and local roads. This upset local police and the community. Francis Thomas called the armed security force Commandos for Christ and Soldiers for Jesus. The church members who had arrest warrants would flee police to the church grounds or surrounding neighborhood, where church members would hide them and surround or attack the police. Due to this, Negotiations were held between the police and the church. 
1981, however, four children died. One confirmed and three suspected due to church members refusing to seek medical attention. This was strictly due to their belief in faith healing. The one confirmed negligent death was that of Theriel Drew, who was six years old and died of a strangulated hernia. Authorities believe he would have lived with the proper medical attention. The other Drew children were placed under state supervision due to the four child deaths. In December 1981, the Arizona Court of Appeals ruled in favor of this to ensure their proper medical care. The decision, however, was overturned by the Arizona Supreme Court, citing protection of religious beliefs. In September of 1981, sheriff's deputies were called to church property to assist two men in a pickup truck surrounded by over 50 church members, waving weapons and shouting threats at the truck occupants. One person in the truck yelled racial slurs at the church members making things worse. When deputies stepped in to de-escalate the situation, a church member named Sherman McCain punched one of the deputies twice. More deputies arrived and the truck occupants were allowed to leave. McCain was arrested on charges of assaulting an officer and carrying a concealed weapon. Three days later, on September 10th, a homemade bomb exploded in a van, killing one church member and injuring three others. The van was heading to Sierra Vista, Arizona to liberate Sherman McCain from the city jail. April 19, 1982. Two groups of students at Sierra Vista's Buena High School, which is where I work, clashed. One group of students was comprised of church members, and the other group was non-members. One church member was arrested and charged with felony assault, and the next day, 20 church members, led by William Thomas Jr., who is the son of Pastor Francis Thomas, arrived at the school in search of the non-member group. Authorities arrived and an altercation ensued, leaving one deputy unconscious. William Thomas Jr. got into his vehicle and blocked cars on the roadway. As students dragged motorists from their vehicles and stole them. They were pursued on a 20 mile, 100 mile per hour chase and were sheltered by church members. The officers left and later obtained warrants to gather information on these students who would be known as the Buena 15. They were told not to serve the warrants, though, by the head, the head of the Arizona Department of Public Safety and the governor's office. After a few more minor events, leading to a couple of arrests, things were tense and everyone knew that eventually tensions would escalate soon. October 22, 1982 
sheriff's deputies attempted to serve arrest warrants for Billy and Frank Bernard. Roughly 20 church members, armed with sticks and guns, surrounded them and forced them to leave. The next day, October 23rd, approximately 7.40 in the morning, sheriff's deputies again tried to find their targets when a car pulled up and angry church members spilled out and began to fight the deputies. When guns appeared in the windows of nearby houses, the sheriff's deputies called for backup. 150 church members, men, women, and children, attacked the deputies with sticks, rocks, pipes, lumber, rakes, knives, and firearms. Along with the sheriff's deputies, Paul Brinkley Rogers, a journalist with the Arizona Daily Star newspaper, was there. This is what he wrote. You've got to kill us if you want us, man, Robert Luckett yelled at the sheriff's deputy, backing away from a woman with a large rock in her hand. Then Luckett screamed, Wait right here till I come back with a gun, then we'll see who's the dead man. But by the time Luckett ran back with nunchucks, an oriental weapon, instead of a gun, Deputy Ray Thatcher was gone. He was lost in a sea of church members, attacking him and 35 other deputies on Axe Head Drive with everything from teeth to gun butts. That's what Arizona Daily Star photographer Jim Davis and I saw first as we leaped from my pickup after following close on the heels of half a dozen sheriff's patrol cars responding to an urgent appeal for help. A few minutes earlier, two deputies had driven into the valley to try to serve a warrant for a traffic violation on Frank Bernard, a member of the Christ Miracle Healing Center and Church. They were quickly surrounded by angry church members and called for help. We heard the backup sheriff's cars roaring into the valley from across Arizona 92, jumped into the truck, and stayed with them in the dust. Standing there, watching the anger, the hate, and the fury of the church members, it didn't really seem possible. Not in this quiet neighborhood of single-story homes built by ardent followers of Jesus Christ. At times, in past months, Deputies had told me that one day it would come to this, someone getting shot. I had agreed, but when guns started blazing and both church members and deputies started dropping to the ground shot, I felt like I had just been dragged against my will into a role in a real shoot 'em up movie. Murderers, murderers, screamed Sister Minnie Ray, an elder in the church, to the lawmen trying to fend her off. She was running from deputy to deputy, trying to hit one and then another with her clenched fists. I knew that lady. I had watched her before, Bible in hand, quoting the scriptures to her enemies. We had even laughed together a few times, but now she was creeping toward me, snarling. You're writing your last story. I was trying to take down her words in my notebook 
and watch for the women behind me running toward the lawmen with axe handles, hammers, baseball bats, gardening implements, scissors, and even a broom. I was worried about the rocks the size of coconuts whizzing through the air. Sister Minnie Ray was saying, You're writing your last story, Paul. You're hellbound. You'll pay for this just like the others, and I will send you to hell. If I don't kill you today, I'll kill you tomorrow. I looked for a more rational church member. After all, I had reported the church's position on more than one occasion. There, there was Brother Brooks, the gray-haired man who always asked me in a kindly fashion what I was reading. He was fighting too, but he was punching it out with another church member, Ricky Brown, a 20-year-old. Brooks and Brown were hammering away at each other. Brown tried to break away and run toward the lawmen chasing a man with a shotgun. Brown had a knife. He waved it over Brooks' head. And then came a bunch of tiny black children, all dressed up in their Sunday best. And they ran in among the pushing and shoving combatants, screaming, My mama's been shot. They shot my mama. The shooting started with the pop of a gunshot to the rear of the quiet residential neighborhood. Heads jerked around in the direction of the shot. Somewhere back toward William Thomas Jr.'s blue painted home. Then another pop from someone somewhere else. The lawmen, fighting with the yelling, kicking, screaming, spitting mob of men, women, and children, tried to push them away and level the, their weapons at the sounds of the shot at the same time. I don't believe this, marveled a young deputy trying to halt an angry woman waving a rake at him like a spear. I might get shot. The woman lunged at him, calling him a filthy honky killer, and he used the butt of his mini-14 and semi-automatic assault rifle to crack her on the jaw and knock her to the ground. When he turned toward the popping shots and pulled the trigger, the woman on the ground grabbed his ankles and pulled the deputy to the ground. Another woman with a rock banged away at the gold-colored crash helmet on his head. Children jumped on his back and tore at his clothes. Somehow he got out of it. There wasn't really time for anyone else to run over to help him. Each deputy was busy fighting off three or four attackers. In a swirl of dust in the middle of the street, Luckett and his friends were taunting other deputies. Luckett had a pair of nunchucks in his hands. He lunged this way and then the other, swinging the heavy ebony sticks by a chain around his head. Come fight me. Fight me, he yelled, baring his teeth. Kill me. Kill me. There were bursts of automatic rifle fire, a Mini-14 firing on the right, a 30 caliber carbine pumping away. People staggered. People ran for cover. They looked at each other to see if they had been shot. Here and there, men and women were wailing as they picked up the body from the ground. Finally, the deputies were ready to pull out. 
Let's back up, let's back up, shouted Lieutenant Frank Peterson as the lawmen ran for their cars. Let's make sure we haven't left anybody in the grass. The deputies made one more quick sweep. They had gotten their injured out. Now it was the turn of the church members to search for the dead, wounded and injured. Honkies, honkies, you're going to be killed, they shouted as deputies gunned their engines. Some of the church members were crying. Others were still taunting the remaining lawmen to fight. I looked for Jim. He was still shooting pictures. A man was walking closely behind him as he walked towards me. And the man was telling Jim that he was going to die too. But Jim was able to jump in my truck and we sped away. Back at the highway, 300 yards distant, the retreating deputies moved out as shocked residents who are not members of the church, stood open-mouthed, watching the convoy go by. For 12 months, they had told Sheriff Jimmy Judd that they wanted decisive action, but it appeared even they could not quite believe that death had come again to the valley the church said was chosen by God for the redemption of souls. After the incident, two church members were killed, five deputies and two church members were hospitalized. One deputy, rookie officer Jeffrey C. Brown, would later die of injuries sustained that day. One of the church members was rendered paraplegic when a bullet fired by another church member hit his spine. He died in 1987. The melee lasted an estimated 15 minutes before law enforcement officers retreated from the church compound. Authorities from Pima County and the FBI later arrived on the scene to conduct the investigation at the invitation of the governor. While some church members were arrested during the shootout, others were identified by photographs taken by deputies and by the news photographer. Charges were laid out against 19 church members for their alleged part in the shootout. The trial was prosecuted by a state attorney in neighboring Pima County. In February 1984, charges were dropped due to Cochise County refusing to pay for legal aid defense of the defendants, claiming insufficient funds in their budget. The judge ruled dismissal with prejudice meaning the defendants could not face the same charges in the future. In the spring of 1983, Francis Thomas announced that the church and its members were returning to Chicago, and the congregation was reestablished on the south side of Chicago. Church members reportedly left Miracle Valley soon afterwards, some simply abandoning their homes and properties. In 1987, 26 former members of Christ Miracle Healing Center and Church sued Frances Thomas for $2 million, alleging she committed fraud by using their contributions to purchase property in her own name instead of the church's. The property in Miracle Valley included a large home used by Thomas and others, the church building, a store, and approximately 25 vacant lots. The lawsuit was later dropped. 
1989, the church attempted to relocate to suburban Markham, Illinois, before moving to Harvey, Illinois. Francis Thomas died in 1995. The church, however, continues to operate today under the leadership of two of Francis Thomas's daughters. Thank you again for tuning in. Find us on Facebook at Death in the Desert, a fact or fiction true crime podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Death in the Desert Podcast. Send us an email at deathinthedesertpod at gmail.com. And a huge thank you to Darren Cooters for his song, Pay the Reaper, which we use for our theme. See you next week with a new crime story, fact or fiction. <laughs>